Well, we are uh, really glad to be at North Edmonton Christian Fellowship and just uh, want to thank them for opening their church to us tonight. And uh, I know uh, Dale just getting things ready with the, with the sidewalks and everything. And so thank you. And uh, thank you so much for just, uh, yeah, allowing us to be here. It is a real honor to be here. And um, yeah, it's exciting. This is an exciting season. And uh, uh, if you're in the lobby, join us. Come in, come in, come in. I see you, come in. I'll start calling names. Angela, come in. Well, we have a special guest tonight uh, that's come from afar, a long way from um, down by the university. And uh, she has been part of Resurgence for, uh, since the beginning, and uh, she serves on the leadership team, and uh, we are really honored to have her share. She's shared before, and uh, it is really, I just know that God has something really special to deposit in our hearts tonight through her words. And so, um, why don't we just extend your hands towards Diana, and we're just going to pray. God, I just thank you right now for the words that uh, you've put on Diana. I thank you, it's for a time such as this for every person in here tonight. So God, we come against every distraction. We just open up our hearts to receive all that you want to do. God, I thank you for Diana, that she is a vessel that uh, is just just ready for you to move in every way. And so God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Diana. This is like, that was the best welcome. And you guys don't even know, like actually, there's actually some cheering signs up in the front row here. Go Cardell, go. Jesus loves you the most. It's in there. So I feel very welcomed. And um, yeah, I didn't come from very far, but... In a way, I did my journey, right? (laughs) Um, So thank you for being here tonight. And just kind of get settled in now that we've all come back in from the lobby, including Angela. Um, (laughs) She's my friend, so it's okay. Um, And just get settled in. Um, Take out, like, your journal or your phones or whatever you've got to kind of take notes on so you can sort of just, like, track and catch stuff as I go. Um, And it feels like a long time since we've been together. Like, we had, Resurgence had so much stuff going on in the fall, like with the weekly community, and we had the burn, and we had our retreat out at Sunnyside Camp, and and then we had our monthly gatherings, and now it's like, I haven't seen everyone over the holidays in like a month. So, welcome back, and like, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year, and all that good stuff. Um... Someone actually asked me over the holidays um, what I love about Christmas so much because, like, I really like it and get really excited about Christmas. And there's, like, there's so, so many reasons. But what I ended up saying after I thought about it is I just feel like at Christmas there's this sense in the air like anything could happen. Like, it's kind of almost a little bit magical and it's just like for me year round there's this like I if you know me it's like little miss undying hope and like believing for the impossible and like totally like fired up with joy and I just feel like at Christmas I'm like the whole world just like joins in and they're like yes anything can happen 
anything can happen. Like, even people with the hardest, like, kind of cynical hearts, they sort of just get softened, and, like, they want to believe in those heartwarming Christmas stories, right? And those stories of redemption. Um, So that's why I love Christmas. Um, And then right after the excitement and the magic of Christmas— the new year starts, right? We leap right ahead into the new year. And again, it's kind of like the whole world joins in, in something that really is like true every moment of every day. But when the new year rolls around, all of a sudden it's like people are like, yes, I believe I can change. Yes, I believe that something new is going to happen in my life. And this year is going to be different, right? Or I'm going to step into something new. Um, And it's just like, that's so true. Like, we can change, right? You're not the same as you were yesterday. Even literally, physically, I was looking this up, um, and your cells, right, they're in a constant state of renewal. So the cells forming your taste buds, for example, they're completely renewed every 10 days. Those lining your intestines, replaced every two or three days. Your red blood cells are four months old. Your liver, five months old. Your bones, every 10 years, all of the cells get replaced. Even your heart is actually completely regenerated three or four times over the course of your life. That's kind of cool, right? God is really, like, literally making all things new continually, constantly. Um, and when our bodies are healthy, right, like, it just, it just, they do this naturally. That's how things work. That's how God designed them. Um, when it comes to our heart and our mind and our spirit— um, same thing, I think, when we're healthy, like, that's like a, we're in that constant process of being renewed and of growing. But there's a lot of things that can get in the way, and there's a lot of reasons that we miss the new things that God has intended for us to naturally move forward into, to naturally step into. So that's kind of what we're going to get into tonight, that stepping into something new and some of the reasons that we might miss it. All right? Boom. Drops mic, right, John? Um, Isaiah 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it and know it, and will you not give heed to it? There we go. I think I'm, like, really tall. I'm just going to jack this up. (laughs) God's doing a new thing and just being regenerated. Bones are growing. Um, sometimes we miss the new thing that God is doing because we're too preoccupied with getting rid of the old. When we're frustrated with sinful habits and idols and unhealthy thought patterns in our lives, we just determine to wage war on our old way of life, right? Ephesians 4, strip yourselves of your former nature, put off and discard your old, unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. Strip off your former selves. So we do a lot of good things to put off the old self. We start like a swear jar that we have to put money into when we mess up. Um, We cancel our home internet to avoid pornography. We buy a stress ball at work to, like, kill it instead of killing our incompetent coworker. (laughs) No one laughed at the canceling the home internet one. What? (laughs) Um, It's true. Uh, 
set an alarm in order to like never stay at our boyfriend's house past a certain hour, right? Bad things happen late. Got to get out of there. Any other number of actions that we do to keep us from falling into, falling prey to temptation. And on this, like just kind of get this. So I'm not saying that that wisely safeguarding against sin or holding yourself accountable to boundaries, insulating yourself from your triggers is wrong, or like a bad thing. But what I am saying is that continually orchestrating your life in an artificial way to avoid engaging in bad behavior is not the life change that Christ died to give you. I will preach it, because it's actually, it's not the life change that he died to give you, because it's actually what he died to free you from, right? Stringent adherence to rules is a really dangerous game. If you lose, you're a cycle, you're a slave to this cycle of failure and of shame. And if you win for a period, you risk pride and you create this false sense of transformation because of your external success. If we read on in Paul's words in Ephesians 4, after he exhorts the Ephesians to strip themselves of their former nature— He gives them the way to do it. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside, working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So good. So where in your life are you more focused on not messing up than on who God is and on what God is doing. We put off the old by receiving the new and by setting our eyes on Christ. Continuing on in Ephesians 4, Paul says, got to turn my page, I almost said Paul says, welcome, thanks for coming to Resurgence. (laughs) Not that page. What does Paul really say? I'll tell you, verse 28. Let the thief steal no more. Instead, Let him be industrious, making an honest living with his hands so that he, so that the thief may be able to give to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language or let worthless talk come out of your mouth. Instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be useful and helpful and kind to one another, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. So in each of these instances, it's a putting off of the old accompanied by fully putting on the new. Like actually really like the opposite like of the old. It's not the old adage of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Which implies that merely hiding or smothering the old self is good enough. Dying to the old self isn't the extent of what we're called to do. The new man's job isn't to stage this elaborate plot to like lock the old man in the basement and keep him down there in the dark and hope that he starves to death, right? We can't afford to spend our time just trying to beat ourselves into submission and waste all of our focus on that. Put on the new self, right? Remember, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, 
a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. And it's so tempting and logical to think of this process of sanctification as like, like a linear progression, right? So, okay, step one, I'm going to put off the old self. Step two, I'm going to like prove myself for a while that I can like not go back to the old ways. And then step three, I'm going to be ready to put on the new self. So naturally, we would just focus on like that first step in the progression, right? So that we can move forward and get to the rest of it. So I'm going to focus on putting off the old self, step one. But it's not a linear progression. It's not a linear progression that you're just working forward through. Um, It's a much more, it's a beautiful, like messy exchange with God, right? We're given everything precisely when we can set our eyes on him instead of on our sin. So can you do that? Can you like really do that and set your eyes on him and believe that that's going to change you? Don't miss the new. Don't miss your life by fixating on the old. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So the way to find it is to look at him. When we look at him, we become like him. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, because we continue to behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, right? So because we continue to behold God as in a mirror in front of us, we continue to behold his glory, we are constantly being transfigured into his very own image. When we look at God, we are conformed to his likeness. You just are. You become what you behold. And that's not just something like Christians say, This is a real kingdom principle that describes the way God set up the world, and we actually see it manifest in the physical, in the psychological, and in the spiritual, because it's just like this natural kingdom law of the way the world works, the way we work. You become what you behold. Like in a really physical sense, have you ever heard people talk about, like people who've been married a really long time, you start to look like your spouse? Over time, some of you are like, I'm going to pick wisely who I marry. (laughs) I didn't even have that written down. Just boom, jokes. (laughs) Um, But it's actually like not just a thing that people say. It's not just conjecture and anecdotal. This is actually evidence-based. Psychologists have done studies verifying the convergence of appearance in long-married couples. So one of those studies, the psychologist says... People often unconsciously mimic the facial expressions of their spouse. Over the years, sharing the same expressions shapes the face similarity. So I guess it's also true. Like, if you make that face, it'll stay that way over time. (laughs) Heard that one. But so really, like, when I look at you, when I understand you, when I relate to you and connect with you, um, when I really get you, Like, the muscles and the bones in my face 
actually change to look like you. I am becoming what I am beholding. And actually, according to the study I was reading, the better the quality of their relationship based on the degree of marital happiness that the couples reported, the greater their increase in facial resemblance. Cool. Physically, become what you behold. It happens in the Bible, too. Some of you know this story. In Genesis 30, Jacob, the schemer, right? Jacob comes up with like a get-rich, like sort of quick scheme. So he made a deal with his father-in-law that he would get all of the speckled and spotted cattle and sheep and goats from his herd as payment for the shepherding services that he was giving. And then Jacob, Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled off strips of bark, little strips making white streaks in them. Then he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred and conceived when they came to drink, the flocks bred and conceived in the sight of those speckled rods, right? And they brought forth lambs and kids streaked, speckled, and spotted. It's like, it's like kind of mysterious and weird, but what the cattle and the sheep and the goats conceived was determined by what was before their eyes, what they were beholding. Our hearts and our minds kind of work the same way, right? So if you've ever gotten really into a book by an author with like a really distinct style, and then you find yourself, you kind of start to think or speak in their manner of writing, you know what I'm talking about. Or like, let, maybe you spend a week like binge watching 24, and then you find yourself like sort of carrying yourself with this odd sense of urgency and drama and like intensity. Yes, you know it, you, you do, right? Or maybe you've been hanging out with Travis Salonia, and then you find, you notice just this overuse of the word powerful just kind of weaving its way into your vernacular. What? You come what we behold. So to move into the new, move beyond examination of your current and old self and set your eyes on him. I remember a couple of years after I got saved having this really cool experience. So I got, if you don't know my story, I was about 24 when I got saved. Um, so a couple of years after that, having this really cool experience of this, of like really beholding certain aspects of the glory of God in a way that changed who I was, in this way that just eclipsed rejection and disappointment and offense and gave me a really sweet freedom to love unconditionally and to be myself more. So at the time, I wrote in my journal, our God is a God who loves us independently of whether or not we love him in return. It is unconditional and enduring. It is perfect love. And he doesn't change his character to convince us that it's worth it to love him or that we should like him. He is truth, righteousness, and holiness. So it was really simple, but it was really true to me. And like the words I wrote don't really capture it and just do justice to the actual experience I had. But you've, if you've ever had that kind of really profound like heart and mind and spirit aha moment, you know you get it. Like the kind of moment that 
exists in this weird tension where it's like you can't work or study to obtain it. Like if I like read this hard enough and really deconstruct it well enough, I'm totally going to get this aha moment. But at the same time, like it is kind of the fruit of discipline and of time and preparation and perseverance and being with God consistently. So it was just one of those really beautiful moments when I saw that truth of who God was, when I saw Jesus for who he was in that capacity, then all of a sudden that could be how I loved. I became like him in that way. And not perfectly, of course, right? But our capacity to manifest the reality of Christ in us is either limited or expanded to the extent that we truly know who he is. So when we fix our eyes on him and talk to him and spend time with him, come to know who he is, that capacity grows and we're naturally conformed to his likeness. Revelation affects transformation. And if you think this was just for me, like about my character being transformed and getting free from sin is totally different, so just setting my eyes on God is not going to work for that, like it's not, it's not different. Whatever your struggle, whatever you're trying to strip yourself of, it's rooted in a part of your character that just hasn't beheld the glory of God enough. For me, a lot of sin in my life actually stemmed from those feelings of being misunderstood and having to worry about being like loved and liked and valued and appreciated back in equal measure to what I put out. Gossip and slander, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, envy, just like an unclean, judgy heart towards people when I needed to protect myself. And everything new that God was moving me toward, the friendships, the ministry that I've been blessed to be a part of, all of that new would have just kind of stayed like hanging in limbo, out of reach, without that transformation, without the freedom found in becoming through beholding. Another thing I've experienced in my life that has threatened to keep me from new life, it's kind of a subtler manifestation of missing the new for the old. So rather than that fixating on, like, striving to overcome hang-ups and, like, shove off the old, this one is more akin to, like, a post-victory fear of those old hang-ups rearing their head at any given moment. Um, So I'm walking in freedom. Like, I've won the battle and I'm walking in freedom, but at any moment the enemy could just be resurrected and jump out from behind a bush So I'm going to steer clear of new things and opportunities that really are from God out of fear that they'll trigger past wounds or unhealthy patterns. It's a freedom on the defensive, constantly looking over its shoulder, anticipating having to refight the same battles rather than dwelling in the land that's been won. Anything that impedes our ability to say yes to God at any moment and be fully who he made us to be is bondage that he wants to do away with and is able to do away with. Starting when I was 16 and through high school and university, I struggled overwhelmingly with disordered eating and exercise patterns. Anorexia, bulimia, extreme calorie counting, overexercise, all sorts of mechanisms of control. 
At the time, my identity was pretty much completely defined by achieving success in whatever terms society dictated. And that meant not only having clothes and accessories and makeup to conform to a culturally conceived ideal image, but a, physically bo a physical body that literally fit those standards of success as well. So it was having the highest marks, having the most friends, having the best style, having the smallest number on the scale. And it was all consuming for years. Long after my body had physically recovered from the disease, I actually was still living under its control. So for quite a while, I was convinced that to live free from extreme control of food and exercise, I had to force myself to camp out like at the opposite end of the spectrum. So to be healthy and free from control, it was like, okay, you can't give any like thought to food, nutrition. Stay away from exercise. Like give no thought to appearance or image. Bad things. Those are dangerous. After I became a Christian, I wouldn't allow myself to participate in spiritual fasting because I didn't want to get triggered, and I believed the lie of the accuser that I couldn't trust the purity of my motives if I were to do a fast. Because of what I had done, I believed the lie that any level of discipline or pursuit of health was control. I wasn't starving myself or throwing up or doing endless hours on the elliptical or spending excessive time and money on hair and makeup, but I wasn't living fully and well. Externally, I wasn't acting out the disease, but internally I wasn't free. I was living a life that wasn't what I was made for out of reaction to the old ways that I had presumed to put off. And for a long time, I accepted these limitations as a foregone conclusion. But as I came to know God better, I started to believe in a freedom much sweeter and much more impossible and much crazier sounding, where my story was clean from the start and written by the Lord and not my past idols. Sometimes a period of swinging the pendulum in the opposite direction is part of our journey of healing toward living in the freedom of balance. But staying in that opposite ditch isn't experiencing the fullness of being a new creation. So I started figuring out what healthy Diana, as intended by Jesus, really looks like. And today, so some of you know me, know my approach to food and fitness does look noticeably different than a lot of other people. Um, but it's not different out of disorder. It's different out of a call to be distinct and have influence for Jesus in that area of transformative health of the body, mind, and spirit. And the truth is, like, I totally catch myself having moments of either acting out of a mindset or control or acting out of a mindset, like reacting to not wanting to control things. When you live in the middle, you might kind of hit the rumble strips like on either side, right? But that's the reality of choosing to live in the new things of God rather than being safe. Challenges come. We get attacked by the enemy, sometimes really specifically in the areas we're called to. That's why sometimes your greatest fears and your greatest strongholds are actually clues to your destiny. 
it can be much easier to get triggered or get hurt when you live in a healthy place on the spectrum rather than running to the end. Living in a tension, in that tension, that place of balance, is a lot riskier for me personally, like me, Diana, but beyond my life, in the context of God's purposes, that choice puts me in a much stronger position of leverage for his kingdom. If you think of like a bow and arrow, right? So picture it. The high tension on the bowstring makes it much more likely to snap than a string that's just kind of like hanging slack, right? But in the context of archery, and the purpose of what that bowstring's all about, the high tension is what gives it its ability to shoot. Our lives in this world are always going to be lived in that tension of changing the old for the new, of bringing heaven to a fallen earth. As individuals and as communities and cities, we live in this divine tension. Good and evil is a reality. Heaven is both fully here and not yet. But as tension mounts, potential energy is created. And I trust that the tension in my bow is going to be harnessed to shoot arrows faster and farther and more accurately rather than being used to snap my string. So now that we've put off the old by looking at Jesus and receiving the new, We've let go of limitations that we thought our past put upon us to fully let God define what the new life looks like. The last thing I want to highlight as we press hold to lay, as we press forward to lay hold of that something new is the familiarity and the comfort of the old and the fear of freedom. Slaves don't face battles and they don't face uncertainty. I was reading about the experiences of African-American slaves freed after the Civil War in an article by Lonnie Bunch, who's the founding director of the Smithsonian's Nat National Museum of African-American History and Culture. So Bunch records the experiences of some newly freed slaves. To Lafayette Price of Morgan County, Alabama, the jubilation of emancipation meant, I'm free as a frog, because a frog had freedom to jump when and where he pleased. Yet many newly freed realized that this was a time of great uncertainty and danger. To W.L. Bost, freedom meant being just like a turtle, cautiously peeking out of the shell to understand the lay of the land. It is that sense of caution that sense of the unknown that shaped the experiences of most African Americans when freedom came. They realized the limits of freedom and the vulnerability that accompanied emancipation. As the daughter of a freedman explained, Daddy said he was proud of freedom, but afraid to own it. Proud of freedom, but afraid to own it. We see the same thing a few thousand years earlier with the Israelites when God delivered them out from under Pharaoh's rule. As soon as they began their march out of slavery toward the promised land, God knew their tendencies. If the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. No one wants to spend endless backbreaking hours making bricks, 
But God knew the pull of captivity on hearts that aren't used to managing freedom. No one wants to be in bondage, but the banality of slavery also brings the security of quotidian routine. I know what each day holds. I know what's going to happen, and I know where I stand. I know what this is about. Freedom means choice and responsibility and risking hope in the midst of seemingly capricious fates. Moses, why have you treated us this way and brought us out of Egypt? Did we not tell you in Egypt, let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? Sometimes the appeal of sin, or our old way of living, isn't so much in the carnal satisfaction as it is in the familiarity and the predictability. That unredeemed desire for security apart from God can prevent us from being people of faith who move toward the new. In speaking about great men and women of faith who chose to leap toward something new, Paul says in Hebrews 11, if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of the country they had left, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. But the truth is, they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and more desirable country, a heavenly one. They didn't let convenience or misplaced nostalgia and a desire to be comfortable give them an excuse to hold back. The new territory was worth the risk. So how has this played out in my life? Over the last few years, but really specifically the last year, God's been hard at work freeing me from independence and isolation. And some of you might find that statement confusing or surprising if you know my gregarious personality and my general affinity for people. But there is a safe way to be with people. And then there's a crossing the desert and wandering through the wilderness kind of way to be with people. And only one of those ways leads to the promised land. So after months of God speaking to me about the power of community and the importance of vulnerability and sharing life with people, Holy Spirit convicted me that my life living alone in a condo wasn't congruent with this new thing that he was doing in my life. This thing of getting messy and being real with people and with God. Oh, and the thought of moving seemed like so unlikely and there's like so many complications of why it wouldn't work and just really unnecessary from a practical standpoint. And like, just like, I was like, it's so much work. It's just so much work, God. But it was time for an exodus. So after some ignoring God and then some kind of like talking about it, but actually with no real intention of following through and doing it, um, and then some sort of rationalizing with God about it, and then like a lot more processing, um, I was ready to deal with my issues and obey and plan to move. On the one hand, it exposed struggles to trust God to provide, like really in practical ways, provide the right house, the people, the money, the time, whatever else I was going to need. And on the other side of things, it exposed my fear of deeper vulnerability, 
what author Donald Miller calls scary close, dropping the act and finding true intimacy. Moving into the new thing God had for me was going to cost me something, and it was going to be confusing, and it was going to be scary, and I wasn't going to have control. I was excited for the new freedom that I knew could happen through this choice, but totally afraid to own it. So hopefully you're getting the point that this wasn't just like about moving for me. Like, yes, I've moved houses before in my life. <laughs> it's, it's not hard. Um, it was encountering a significant gap in the path that I had been moving forward on and like walking forward through with God and choosing to jump instead of turning back. So in the city with the lowest vacancy rate in Canada, go Edmonton, um, I gave my notice to move out on September 1st, the busiest moving day of the year. Good plan. Thanks, God. Um, without really having a place, like, actually lined up for sure, or people to live with. Um, and then I quickly discovered there was no going back, as the owner of my condo had almost instantly lined up someone new to move in. Thanks, low vacancy rate. Um, and then eventually um, committed, uh, my roommates don't totally know the order of this, committed to signing a lease on a huge four-bedroom house that I definitely could not afford on my own, actually before technically securing anyone to live with me and giving over the $2,600 damage deposit. And then God showed up. And if you want to hear the full story of that, just not to come over to the house sometime and hang out. Um, but I shared this part of the story because it was a bizarre time of like tremendous uncertainty met with unparalleled conviction. As I chose to move into the new season that God had ordained, that was just kind of free and open and uncertain, um, a lot of that fear and uncertainty was like practical and emotional. But in the midst of all of this, I discovered a trust and a security that was just deeper and more substantial and more solid. I knew that I knew that I knew the new thing that God was doing. So everything else just kind of had to work out. He had said community. He had said move. So my job was to obey and watch for his hand at work. Moses told the people, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. So every day in that period, multiple times a day, every time I started to think about the what ifs and the confusion and the unanswered questions, and my little emotional fears, I would literally say to myself, it's what he's doing, so it's what I'm doing, and everything else doesn't make the list. It's what he's doing, so it's what I'm doing, and everything else doesn't even make the list. Everything else doesn't even make the list of things I have to concern myself with, things I have to address, because he really does watch over his word to perform it. And I'd read that, and I'd heard that, and like so many other similar verses so many times. But it's like I just chose to actually believe it, to actually see my steps as being ordained and ordered by him. 
When we walk in obedience and alignment with the call he has purposed for our lives, we experience a profound security in knowing that what we are doing is a significant part of his kingdom purposes, and so it will be established. I read a book recently by uh, Paulo Coelho, something like that. (laughs) My friend, like, even told me yesterday how to pronounce it, and I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, anyways, it communicates what I'd been experiencing in this really beautiful way. We are afraid of losing what we have, whether it's our life or our possessions and property. But this fear evaporates when we understand that our life stories and the history of the world were written by the same hand. The psalmist penned this as a song for pilgrims on the journey ascending to Jerusalem. This is Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No. My strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. It's what he's doing, so it's what I'm doing. So don't be afraid of freedom and neglect the new thing God is doing. It's different, and it's wide open, and it's not safe, but it's good. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not know it? Do you not perceive it? And will you not give heed to it? He's doing a new thing. It's springing forth over your life now and continually. He's making all things new. So perceive it and know it and give heed to it. When I started concocting this message, um, I had a lot of different thoughts kind of stirring around in my head of what I could maybe speak on. Um, And so varying ideas would kind of like pop up of something that I could craft a message around. And somewhere in the back of my mind, like I totally thought, I'm like, oh, the topic's going to be community because it's been such a significant theme in my life as of late. And when I sat down with God to like talk through it and chat with him about like what am I actually going to speak about, I heard really clearly the community I've been speaking about isn't the content of the message. It's the medium. And the medium is the message. Oh, so okay. So vulnerability, authenticity, knowing and being known, laying down one's life for another, being naked and unashamed with people, transparency. Those things aren't the topic that I get to stand up and teach about. They're the form the principles that dictate the delivery and weave themselves through the aesthetic of the word. Those are the things that I have to live on stage in front of people. Well, that's a lot harder, (laughs) but it makes a lot of sense. When it comes to God, I think most things, like, can't really be taught. They can be lived and tasted and seen, And so I tried to plan a message that was different and stretching for me, that wasn't safe, that included things that I don't talk about, that made me known to you. 
to admit that I know how to play it safe with people and that I'll pull that card out is actually, it's really hard um, because I don't let people play it safe with me. Um, it's really hypocritical to talk about having an eating disorder and being so sick for a long time is scary. That was a battle that I fought and overcame on my own. Um, last night I shared this message with a couple of friends who couldn't be here tonight, and that was the first time that I've actually talked with people about that part of my life. So at the time, like, my parents knew, and that was about it. And they just kind of, like, figured it out. And now you know all these things about me. Good. And that's scary, right? Because you could choose to filter me through that lens now instead of how God sees me and how I really am, strong and redeemed, right in the midst of brokenness. Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Don't know if it totally feels like courage, right? Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. Brene Brown said that. It was hard at first, um, but then it was really good and like a little bit scary the whole time. And I think... I really learned something new about Jesus as I contemplated feeling exposed and raw and dying to myself a little more in front of people, wondering if it would all be just in vain, knowing fully, fully aware that people could choose to do nothing with it, but doing it anyway out of obedience and believing that it would be worth it if people really chose to receive it and be changed by it. So what will you do with that message? What will you do with what I've shared? It's about something new, the new that God's doing in your life and the ways that we can miss it. But it's really about community and about being vulnerable and about breaking the power of the old by speaking it out. So I'm not sure how we're going to end tonight. Karis, maybe you can come back up here and just give me some backup if you're out there. Not like a backup dancer, like just on the keyboard. <laughs> it could be both. Yes. Thank you. Um, so we're going to do something together. A few things. Um, first, since we're just going to make it a little messy in here. Um, if you're able, if you're comfortable, I want you to just kind of like come, like just like sit with me at the front. We're going to hang out up here. So just like move right now. I don't usually do this and like tell people what to do, but I am, so you can. Yeah, come on up. And if you're like, oh, I can't really sit on the floor. That's awkward. Then that's okay. That's fine. Stay where you are. But like, come on in. 
I know, that's exactly what I, I'm like, it's like story time here. The whole message was like story time. Yeah, sneak in even more, guys. Let's make some room for these other people. This is awesome. Sit where you can. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and Karis is going to just like play a little bit. So it'll be really beautiful story time. It's good. Steal someone's chair near the front if you can't like quite make it up here. Um, just like really quiet. Um, I don't talk very loud, Dave, so keep the keyboard really quiet. <laughs> um, all right. So first being up here, so I just kind of, I saw this picture and it was like a bundle of words, of all these words like describing the old self. And I really, I, I think for most of you, as I was speaking and sharing and relating some of my story, there were things in the pit of your stomach that were getting triggered and that you were like identifying with differently in your own life. But I want you to just like, kind of like all of those words and those labels of the old self. If it's like pride and image and eating disorder and all those things that it was for me, right? And hardness and bitterness and envy. Just kind of take those words and it's like they're all like overlapping and stacked on each other and like kind of just rolled up into this big ball of yarn. So just like get that in your head right now of like what's the old stuff? Remember, anything can happen, right? What's the old stuff that it's like I'm ready to put this off for good? I kind of already did put this off, but sometimes, like, I actually am living in fear of it. Get all of that bundled up. And we're going to do an exchange with God. So whatever it looks like to you, you're going to take that big bundle of words and that mess, and you're just going to give it to God. And you're going to ask for something in return. And so here's what's going to happen. He's going to actually give you, and I want you to picture this, he's going to give you in return, it's going to be like either a card or a gift, like a wrapped present. And you're going to take that card or that gift, and you're going to open the card. And it's going to be like words from him of who he is, parts of him that you need to behold, his glory, something that you're going to get and have that spiritual aha moment to be conformed to his likeness and changed. Or you're going to unwrap that present. Maybe you get both. Yeah, just take both, sure. And you're going to get that present and you're going to unwrap it and it's going to be something that's going to represent maybe a tool that he's giving you to walk into that uncertainty and that shaky, wide-open place of freedom and the new. Or maybe it's going to be just something that represents what the new is that he's calling you into, what he's really made you for, and the life that he is fully defining, not your past. So you're going to take a couple minutes 
to just like work through that and do that with God. (laughs) And then when you're ready or when you're not really ready, but God says it's time, you're going to just find someone around you or across the room or wherever. Maybe it's someone that you came with, or maybe it's like a group of three people that you don't even know. And you're going to actually share it. And I don't really care like how long or how short you are about it, but be real. Um, And I went first. And so if I can do it, you can do it. And if you can do it, then I continue to believe I can do it because I need this. I need to do more of this in my life. Um, So you're going to find someone and you're going to tell them, this is the old. This is what I got rid of. This was my bundle of words. And then you can delight in sharing the new, what God gave you. And then you can pray together. You can worship. You can go and just chill with God in your seat. You can do whatever you want. Um, If you're not sure, like, who to talk to, and that's, like, weird to approach someone, um, don't let that stop you and maybe just go do it. Um, or come talk to me or like Travis or Dean. Uh, maybe we'll have a couple others that'll be like actually kind of at the front on the stage here. Those are people that I've decided are Diana approved tonight. So just come talk to them and just confess and share and be you. And vulnerability looks like truth and courage, and it's not comfortable, but it's never weakness. And so this is what resurgence is about. This is like the season we're in of community. Um, So maybe you didn't know that's what you were getting into when you came, but I mean, I feel like I've been telling people that's what resurgence is about. So now I'm just actually like doing it, right? Um, Yeah, so take some time with God and Karis, play and sing over us, and then come talk to me or find your people.